first of all, good morning or whatever it is in your place in the world. But I'm here with one of my favorite people, Scott Wintrup. And I want to tell you that when it comes to the most unique, innovative and breakthrough ideas on how organizations can implement a process that actually lets them hire in an instant, Scott, from my perspective, is the most insightful thought leader and leading authority in this field. When it comes to attracting, and, and that's something I learned myself, when it comes to attracting and building extraordinary teams, that has become one of my competitive advantages and my secret weapon. And I believe it's our way of creating and controlling our future. Scott is just about to publish his first amazing book, which is called High Velocity Hiring, which from my perspective when I read the manuscript is the absolute blueprint on developing the proper mindset of what you need to do in order to create your dream team and create your future. With that in mind, welcome, Scott. Thank you, Chad. Great to be with you today. So here's a question I would like to start by asking you. First of all, when people ask you, or if I were to ask you, what's the essence of your business? What's the best way for you to describe or articulate that? So big picture is I work with all kinds of organizations, helping them hire in an instant. And I don't do the hiring for them. I empower them to do the hiring. I help them implement a process that doesn't, you know, it's not the old way of hiring. The old way of hiring is you keep a job open until the right person shows up. I help them engage in the new way of hiring, which is you cultivate top talent and wait for the right job to show up. It effectively reduces time to fill, the time it takes to fill a job, to zero. Two years ago, or the summer of 2015, time to fill hit its all-time high, 27.2 working days. Not calendar days, working days. The gap between that and zero is pretty significant. If you have somebody in place in zero days, they're doing work for the next 27.2 days that other organizations are letting pile up or the manager has to take on or they're having to pay overtime to deal with. My process eliminates that. It eliminates hiring delays while maintaining a very high level of hiring accuracy. And I work with all kinds of organizations uh, across the globe. I work with uh, staffing firms as well who help supply some of that talent. And I advise the hiring technology companies, too, that are developing tech that helps people hire faster and achieve that zero time to fill. I can completely relate to that from my own organization. So when it comes to actually working with your clients, I believe in the concept of remarkable value. So I'm curious, what's the remarkable value that you bring to the table with your clients? Well, I, first I have to say, I work with people like you who want to do things differently and better. And I'm saying that because of the story you told. I have some insider information about the Chad Bar Group. We've been working together for a very long time. I experienced your team then and now. Your team then was good. Your team now is great. How did that happen? You upped your game in hiring. So that's the remarkable value I provide. I help people do the Jim Collins, go from good to great. And the way I help them do that is I help them change things. So for example, I'll give you a very concrete example of this, is uh, interviewing is such an important part of hiring. Most people engage in the conventional form of interviewing. It's very conceptual. They have a conversation where they talk about doing work. Now, think about that for a second, Chad. You're going to talk to somebody about doing work. So what's a candidate going to do in that situation? Are they going to tell you the good things or the bad things about how they do work and the outcomes they create? 
Well, they're going to do what I call the tell, sell, and swell. They're going to tell the interviewer what the interviewer thinks they want to hear. They're going to sell the best parts of their background, and they're going to try and swell the ego of that interviewer. Now, does that mean all candidates are engaging in deception? No, it's just natural, like in dating, that we sell the best parts of ourselves. So I help people do things dramatically differently. I give them uh, a path that is more successful. And I help them, for example, because of this new form of interviewing, and instead of doing two, three, four, sometimes five different face-to-face interviews, this system lets them do it in one. Because they see proof. I call it an experiential interview. Instead of a conceptual interview where you talk about doing work, they do an experiential interview. They experience the person doing sample work. They do it faster. It increases hiring accuracy, and they can hire quicker. And that's just one. You know, we could sit here. I don't want to talk about a whole bunch of methodology. That's just one concept. But notice how that just changes the game already. That's just one piece of a system that lets them do it much, much faster. I would say, actually, uh, reflecting on one of the things you said just now, probably like Jim Collins, you do help your clients, I know for a fact, go from good to great. But probably like Scott Wintrup, you actually help them go from great to extraordinary or remarkable. Yeah, that's the feedback I get. And I appreciate you saying that. People are stunned at how simple a better way can be. You know, and it's just very simple things that I've always been a bit contrarian. You know that. And it's not contrarian for contrarian's sake. It is simply I notice things. I watch. And I've been in the hiring space for over 30 years now. And some of this stuff, the way we hire, the way we do work has never made sense to me. I was always looking for a better way. And that better way I found in my own experience. I was so frustrated with the way hiring was done. And I was able to create extraordinary results. And then I figured out, you know, then you have to translate that to somebody else. And since I'm not there, you know, when the book's going to show up for people, I had to formulate in the book approaches and methodologies, and I've, I've used them for a long time, but I had to communicate them in a way that anybody picking up the book could implement if I'm not there. And I think that's the thing I'm most proud of, whether it's working with me in person or picking up the book. These are simple and practical. I have a little saying, simple is sustainable. Complex makes goals unattainable. And yes, it's a very, very cheesy rhyme. But it's true. Think about all the complex things, you and I and the listeners, all the complex things we've tried to do. How many of them could we actually sustain? The answer is few or none, because it's just so hard because we have so many moving pieces to our lives. So I appreciate the acknowledgement about extraordinary. And the way we become extraordinary is we keep things simple. That's fabulous. You know, my personal observation, I've been fortunate to work with some of the top thinkers in the world, some top thought leaders. My observation over the years is that they're all prolific publishers of remarkable content and they don't stop creating this content. I, I've watched you. I've worked with you over the years. You become a prolific publisher of remarkable content, whether it's hundreds, if not thousands of podcasts and articles and videos and audio book and ebooks and products and services. Just amazing. Can you talk about the process, what you put yourself through, what you go through to number one, create amazing, remarkable content, and how do you see that as a critical aspect of strengthening your thought leadership? I want to honor that your listeners come from many different backgrounds and many different spiritual backgrounds. So I believe in a spiritual basis for things and not a religious basis. So I'm going to start with that. For me, content creation has become a spiritual exercise. I am of the firm belief that I'm always going to have what I need when I need it. I'll give you a case in point on this one. 
Well, the case in point is you, actually. I thought when you were sharing, this is not a setup. I promised this to your listeners. You didn't ask me to say this, but I remember one of the times that we shot videos in your studio and I came in there for two days and we shot, I think it was 92 videos in two days. You're nodding right now. You know, that was amazing, Chad. I planned 40. I remember coming up with a list of 40. And this is an example that if I watch for things, and it doesn't have to be spiritual for somebody else who's not spiritual. I just have to watch for what shows up and work with that. So the way you and I were working is I'd work on, I'd do one that I planned. And you would hear me say something in one of those videos. And and you would say, hey, can you talk about this? And boom, there's a new video. So that's a perfect example of things showing up in life. But it's not just people prompting you. I'm about to publish uh, later today a new post for my blog. And the title of it is going to be Got Election Fatigue, Channel It into Hiring Speed. So we are six days out from the 2016 presidential election. It cannot end soon enough. Six days is way too long at this point. But notice that I'm so inspired by my own fatigue, I started asking myself some questions. What can I do with this to help my clients? So whether it's what's happening in life around me, it's what a colleague like you says, this stuff is, for me, divinely inspired or it's inspired out in the business world. I just watch for the stuff that ties into what I do because I know what I do. I know the value I provide. And if I'm asking the question, how does this tie in, I find that I can create great content. But there's one other thing I want to say, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, is I am quick on my feet because I practice being quick on my feet. As a kid, I was in theater and I did a lot of improv. And, you know, the reason I could do 92 videos in one day is I practiced a lot of improv. I'm watching some of my colleagues now who've never done theater before. And it's not at my prompting. I just keep hearing them say, hey, I started doing some improv because they've heard somewhere that that helps you on a stage or be quick on your feet. And I think that's a big part of my success is I've practiced thinking on my feet. I think anybody who is in the line of work like me as a speaker or a consultant or an author would be well served if they do uh, an improv class or anything that actually forces them. Well, it could be debate, for example, just healthy debates with colleagues, you know, to get that part of the brain thinking and doing different ways and generating ideas and being able to respond in a moment. You know, I put all that together, the practice that I've had, the collaboration with people like you being inspired by everything around me. And I find that it's limitless content that I'm able to come up with. And, and it's really cool because I step back and I go, whoa, look at what happened. This is great, Scott. Um, my next question is uh, maybe of uh, self-promotion here, but uh, in a genuine kind of way. We've been together for a long time. And I'm just curious if you can comment. I, I feel I've, I've helped strategize your web presence, putting your web sites and your content together. But if you could just talk about the process, which you kind of started in the, in the previous conversation, what goes through your mind as far as the experience, the value you've gained by virtue of working with myself and, and my team? Oh, wow. You know, I, I certainly talked about the videos already. And um, I've never before I came across you met one organization, one person who could do as much for me as you've done. You know, it certainly helped when I met you that you got what I do as a fellow consultant and speaker and author. You got where I was coming from. But it's more than that, too. 
when you came up with the terminology digital empire, I happen to think that's one of the most brilliant things you came up with because it is the perfect description of what you do. I now have a digital empire. If I were to expire later today, gosh, I hope not. I would leave behind something very meaningful. I would leave pieces of myself that I'm sure would help somebody somewhere. That's really cool. Now, I'm hoping and planning not to expire later today. So what does it do? It serves me well. It helps me be places I can't. If a prospect wants to know about my business, I can point to a video and say, listen to this. Uh, Or if they want an answer to a question, I can say, watch this. Or same thing with my clients. So the depth of expertise between the web presence, the podcast, content creation, videos, and so forth, tremendously helpful. But it's not, you know, in my case, because of my improv background and my ability to think and write and all that, you taught me how to create content along the way as well. So I, I, I look at you and I look at some other people, but you in particular, I'm the, the prolific content creator because of the influence you had on me. And that's huge. And, and I'll say one last thing as well. You know, any long-term relationship has bumps in the roads. I think the thing I respect most about you is you make the bumps opportunities. You know, the bumps haven't been horrible. You know, every organization, every service, there are bumps. And it wasn't you personally. It was that good to great staff. You had good people who were doing work, and sometimes those good people make mistakes, and they did. And I remember very clearly how you said to me, you want to find a way to make that mistake into something better. And you did. And I look at how you've upped your game. You've always made things right by me. That really goes back to a mantra I have. of It's not when people make mistakes. It's what they do about it that shows their character. You know, not every organization you work with has that kind of character, that they care that much about the relationship and the business aspect of it to not just fix the problem, but up the game. And your game was always good. And you've always used every opportunity, good and bad, to up it. And you have. I mean, I look at the stuff that's out there now and what you're doing for me, and that speaks for itself. Scott, first of all, thank you. And uh, I so not only appreciate that, the feedback, but uh, that's what helps me accelerate and improve my game. So that feedback was instrumental at the right time in my career as well. So thank you for that. We all face challenges, whether entrepreneurs or organizations, adversity to overcome. I'm curious, what's one, and I'm sure you've faced many in your life, what's one of the biggest challenges that you face or able to overcome uh, that had the greatest impact on your life and actually your business as well? Wow. (laughs) Which one should I pick? (laughs) You know, I'm going to pick a recent one. I've not gone on the record much about this because, uh, especially with my clients, some of my clients know that my wife got breast cancer September of 2015. I've insulated most of them from it because they're not paying me to talk about my life. I've woven it in or it's come up, you know, more in social situations. But I, I think that's the one I want to talk about today. You know, I've, I've had a journey of ups and downs. I've fallen down. I've gotten back up, you know, um, <laughs> many different times. And there's a quote. It's uh, out of the book, The Alchemist. And the paraphrasing of it is the secret of life is to fall, fall down seven times and get up eight times. And I'm pretty sure I've fallen down many more times than that. I really trust in my own character and my own ability to deal with life on life's terms. That's because, yeah, I've wallowed in self-pity and screamed and all that, but I always get myself up and brush myself off. 
And, you know, my wife, well, it was a kind of interesting string of things. Uh, in July of 2015, my father-in-law, her father died of cancer. My wife was diagnosed with cancer in 2015, or her mother was diagnosed with lung cancer the month thereafter. And all this was going on while my youngest, Benjamin, went off to college. And that was a grieving process as well. And so I had a moment where I felt like I was being attacked on all angles. And, you know, the way I got through that, number one, is I have a strong spiritual belief system. That's very important to me. I've said to you that, you know, I live my life based on a mantra. I live well or I stay well, I live well, and I live well below my means. And that means I have balance. You know, I have amazing balance that I've worked very hard on. I also, how I've constructed my practice, I have an advisory practice. So I have more than half my time available to spend on marketing. And that's really important because sometimes that marketing had to be done from a hospital room this past year because my wife went through five surgeries in less than a year's time. I've got things in, well ordered here. My family comes first and my work comes second. But I do a lot of work. You know, people are amazed when I tell them what's gone on. But part of it is how I've built my business. You know, my business doesn't run my life. My life runs my life and my business happens to be part of it. I think the last thing I did, too, to help me get through this is, you know, even though work is not the most important thing in my life, it became my sanctuary. When I signed this book deal for high velocity hiring with McGraw Hill back in February, I had a moment of debate and I bounced it by people and I said, you know, is now the time? And I got different feedback, but at the end, the decision was mine. And the decision I made was, you know what, I live a balanced life. I've carved time to fit this in, and this can be my sanctuary. And, you know, I, I got divorced. That was one of my falling downs. Work became my sanctuary um, from my previous marriage 10 plus years ago, where it was my oasis away from something just really, really hard. And, and you know, I was grief stricken by that. And I just use that again this time. I credit what was going on with one of the reasons my book is really, really good. Because when I worked on that book, I worked on that book. I threw myself into that. And it's not that I forgot my wife and I forgot what was going on. It just became my time away. And I threw myself into it. And, and it just became, like I said, that oasis. So I think, you know, work, when we set it up right and we do great work, is because we've set it up that way. It becomes something that doesn't run our life, but supplements our life in so many ways. And, and I think that's true in this case in particular, is my work became that sanctuary from the other stuff in life and made it made me more available when I was dealing with the other stuff for life because, you know, I got to do both. So first of all, a true wow. Thank you for your vulnerability and for your sharing. And I love this mantra and that will stay with me as well. Stay well, live well and live well below your means. That's that's a great mantra to live our life. Uh, I want to close with one final question. As, as you reflect on your clients, the organizations, the individual you work with, what's one best growth success insight that you could share with the audience who are listening to that, that had, was instrumental on taking your clients to this extraordinary success level? I'll give you a very specific. I worked with a manufacturing organization that was one of the most discriminatory environments I have ever seen in my entire life, so much so that I almost fired them before we ever got started because I don't believe in discrimination. In my book, I tell a story of one of my early uh, experiences with that. and It was very disheartening to watch discriminatory hiring. And I choose not to participate in that and endorse that instead, change that in my process. Uh, in the book, I talk about durable diversity in the last chapter. I did work with this manufacturing company because the, the hiring manager, I won't say he begged me to, but it was darn close. And 
the, the begging was he wanted to change this. He, he said these are not bad people. These are good people making bad choices when it comes to how they hire. And what we had to do there is really change mindsets. And, you know, the discriminatory hiring that was going on, it was like a caste system in this company. The workers all came from one minority race. The belief was these are the hardest workers. And there is some truth to that, you know, in some degree in, in this organization, in this town in particular. And then the supervisors were another race. Another ethnic group was represented in management and so on. And the belief system was that just, you know, people of those backgrounds are best suited for those roles. It was not that they had anything against the other roles. It was just a belief system and a mindset. And we set out to change that mindset. We did it by implementing the process. And this went from one of the most discriminatory environments to one of the most diverse companies I've ever seen in less than two years, which is a relatively short timeline when we're talking about diversity and changing over staff. And they did it. And that's the kind of just extraordinary result that people get. It actually starts with mindset. You've got to start with your mindset. That's why I address that in the book first. Then and only then with that underlying mindset can you change the result. And is it worth it? Well, I'll let you all decide. This is an organization I was stunned that they had never been sued. But the quality of the work, you know, diversity for diversity's sake alone isn't driving some organizations to change. But when you look at how diversity actually makes organizations better and gets better results, and this is one of those examples, that's why every organization should be diverse while also hiring fast. And so mindset first, process second, you do that, it gets the results third. And that's why I do the work I do is it's not just about process and let's put this methodology in place because I'm so in love with it. It's, hey, you know, we want to achieve this result. This is why we want to achieve it. And when we get to change people's mindsets, which are often ingrained, that's an amazing, amazing thing. And I'm really proud that the work that I get to do achieves those kind of results while changing mindsets and, and simplifying and making processes better at the same time. Scott, before I let you go, uh, we are recording it November of 2016. When is the book High Velocity Hiring will be available? And of course, your website for those who are just listening, what's the best way to contact you and things like that? So you can contact me at Wintrip, W-I-N-T-R-I-P, Wintrip, consultinggroup.com is the website. You can go check out all those great resources. Chad has helped me create. The book High Velocity Hiring, How to Hire Top Talent in an Instant, is being published by McGraw-Hill. And that comes out April 7th of 2017. Uh, it's available for pre-order now. I, they didn't waste any time getting it up there on Amazon and the other sites. Scott, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you for your insight, for your vulnerability, for your sharing. And I'll say this to you. You're truly an inspiration. So thank you. Thank you, Chad. Great to be with you today.